1: Welcome into the Rotowire NFL podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are sponsored by our friends over at WinBet. Uh, we got a lot to get to here on this Thursday edition of the Rotowire NFL pod. We're gonna hit some news and notes from around the league. Obviously, we got a preseason game tonight, more preseason games throughout the weekend. We're gonna get into some ADP changes that are that have been occurring over the last a few days since last time we checked in, and then we're going to do a breakdown of my NFFC draft uh, that took place late last week. Uh, went with the chief stack for for that one. We'll see how it plays out. Bold move, Cotton. We'll see how that goes. But Mario, before we kick things off, how you doing?
2: I'm alright. Uh, nothing too interesting going on. What about you? Uh,
1: in my uh, recent stream of uh, minor inconveniences. Uh, had some car repair stuff out of nowhere yesterday that cost oh, about good. ten times more than I was expecting it to cost. So uh, <laughs> we're hurting a little bit, but you know, nothing, nothing we can't stomach, and uh, you know, we, we press on. And uh, now that now the, the old Civic's running beautifully, so we're happy to see it.
2: Yeah, sorry, man, that sucks. I don't consider either of those minor, for what it's worth. And and for listeners who have failed us. Uh, and themselves morally by not listening to the episode three weeks ago or whatever. Uh, the other, quote, minor thing was John's apartment flooding from above. So uh, minor, yeah, just a little bit, of, just a tiny difficulty here and there.
1: Just a little bit water damage. It's still good. It's still good. So, um, yeah, that was uh, that was quite an eventful uh, Thursday afternoon a couple weeks ago. But, uh, again, uh, we press on. All right, let's get into some news uh, before we uh, go anywhere else with this. So uh, some positive news to start things out. It looks like Devonte Smith is making good progress and he should be able to suit up on Thursday night. Had you noticed any sort of ADP freeze or slide from him uh, since he suffered that injury? And, and does his return tonight uh, kind of change anything
2: in your mind? So I haven't done any drafts lately except for my NFFC one. I can't remember where he went, but I assume he, Devonte Smith, started sliding a little bit. I want to say he used to go in like the seventh round kind of range. And I would imagine he started going, maybe started going after guys like Chenault, something like that. Maybe more around like Jarvis Landry or whatever. And uh, I think he was okay to buy before. And if this knee injury turns out to be nothing, the people who got him at discount might be glad that they did. But I, I happened to just be staying away just because I liked other players in that range more. But Devonte is a player I'm plenty high on and hopefully his knee's all right. Hopefully he gets some decent quarterback play this year because he sh- should be able to be their best receiver right away. And I, I say that as a Jalen Rager fan.
1: Yes, and it looks like Rager is coming along nicely as well. He might be in for a year-two breakout, and and you know those who uh, jump ship too early might might have uh, some remorse as far as that is concerned. Uh, looking elsewhere from around the league, and and again, I'm I'm expected to see Devontae Smith out there, and I agree with you. I think he is going to be, um, or he's got the potential to be that number one guy in Philly. Obviously, not the most. Uh, high-volume passing offense, or at least we don't expect it to be. But, you know, he's going to be that guy that, that can move the chains, shorten intermediate stuff. He can do the downfield stuff, but figure that'll be more Rager's thing. Uh, so Devontae, the more consistent guy I'm expecting. Uh, looking elsewhere, out of Carolina, we got some joint practices between the Ravens and the Panthers, and some uh, bumps and bruises coming out of those, as we can expect with these joint practices. Guys excited to hit someone other than their own teammates. And, you know, stuff happens. So DJ Moore leaves practice today, Uh, apparently had a bit of a back issue on Wednesday and it aggravated a little bit on Thursday. It doesn't sound like there's anything to be too, too worried about, but any any reaction there with with the DJ Moore uh, developments?
2: Uh, Hopefully it's minor. I know there's only so much we can know in cases like these and much less even yet that we can actually control. I can only, unless there's like worse news coming out, I can't really change anything about it. I'm just high on DJ Moore, kind of high on the whole Carolina offense for their costs, really. So uh, I hope I hope he's able to be out there. Hopefully Robbie Anderson gets back on the field soon, too, with his hamstring. And hopefully we forget all about this in 10 days.
1: No, exactly. And then, uh, you know, piggybacking off of that, just staying in Carolina for a second uh, Terrace Marshall does seem to be kind of heating up in in the Twitter discourse uh, where, where are you with him right now
2: I like him but I feel like a lot of people don't know what they're talking about when they when they <laughs> chatter about him and I think you know this this will probably just be a case of people being right for the wrong reasons or at least as someone who is high on Terrace Marshall for other reasons I I hope that's the way it turns out I'd, I'd rather we're both right than both wrong for different reasons but uh, the idea that he's just going to plug in and be their slot receiver as their slot receiver function last year is plainly not true. So I would at the very least need some people to elaborate and clarify like, yeah, he's going to be the big slot. It's on, he's going to smash at the slot. I would need them to clarify that. Oh, and by the way, like DJ Moore's average depth of target this year is like three yards shorter. And the slot runner is four yards farther than last year. Like, Curtis Samuel was not running downfield at all. Everything that he did last year was after the catch. And Terrace Marshall, if anything, is the other way around. He's not that much of an after-the-catch guy. He's more of a, I lose your corner for a second 15 yards downfield and you throw it to me for a touchdown or uh, you throw it further than that and the guy, you know, loses a step and I outrun him. He's not really like a weave-through-traffic kind of player. So if, they, if people expect him to be in the Curtis Samuel role, they're wrong. And I haven't really seen anyone try to – actually you know extrapolate the whole assumption there and just go like okay so yeah Terrace Marshall's is going to be in the slot but the whole route combos are going to look differently and here's it might go a little something like this like something like that would actually sell it to me but in the meantime I need somebody to clarify that Terrace Marshall's competing for outside reps because if he's in the slot he's maybe there's some number of downfield targets but not the Curtis Samuel ones so I don't know where he's actually winning targets in that case
1: and it, you know if i remember correctly from his 2019 season at LSU when he was obviously playing for Joe Brady it was mostly Justin Jefferson in, in the slot and Marshall was, yeah. was the you know the flanker to the outside opposite Jamar Chase of course and still anytime i think about that offense it's like mind boggling but um, regardless yeah I, I wouldn't pencil Marshall as like this natural slot guy so so yeah i think to to just kind of make that a sweeping assumption that he's going to get all of the work out of that particular area of the field. I mean, I don't doubt that Joe Brady can use Marshall the best way that, that he can. But um, again, like you said, I think people might be jumping the gun a little bit and just kind of hoping that, or almost pretending like they just, just made this discovery of uh yeah. Marshall. you know, with three weeks to go before the season.
2: And what's really silly about a lot of it, I should have just led off with this a lot of people are specifically sounding the alarm because of a preseason play that was like busted coverage. And then he sort of 75% ran down the sideline. It was almost like he was like, was there a flag or something? Is this a play? Is this live? Like he, (laughs) he looked slow and he's not a slow runner and he got caught and he only got open because there's just like the defense slipped basically. So I like Terrace Marshall. I don't want to discourage anyone from liking Terrace Marshall but if you some if you for some reason didn't care or didn't like him, you're disinterested before that preseason game. And only upon seeing that preseason game. Now you're a big fan. I think your process is going to take you to some really dark places. Yeah. And,
1: and uh, you're not going to have a good time. Uh, you're definitely pizzaing <laughs> when, when you should be French
2: frying. And, uh, you know, you're going to have no. A you, time. They, they should pe- they should be pizzaing right now. See, and they're, they're French frying at the wrong time can't have that. You absolutely
1: cannot make that. Go
2: flying off a dang cliff.
1: (laughs) A lot of history on that there, Mountain. Um, Let's get on over. Uh, Zach Moss expected to make his preseason debut this week. Where are you with with this Bill's backfield and and your expectations of him? I was a little bit more bullish on Moss earlier on in draft season. I've kind of cooled off. Usually I try to have most of my running backs, or at least, you know, my my three. Three of my running backs taken by the time that that Moss is usually coming up in the queue. Um, so, uh, where where are you with him right right now? And any sort of expectations for for tonight or this? I'm
2: in a I'm in a pretty tough spot with Moss because if you listen to my fantasy 2021 fantasy takes on him, you'd think I hate the guy or something because I'm not drafting him. Like I'm not going to take him probably any sooner than I don't know the at least twelfth round. Probably later. And I feel like he usually goes in like the late ninth, the 10th round, something like that. I definitely believe he's better than Devin Singletary. There's not actually a question in my mind about that. But did anyone recently stop and look at what they actually combined for last year? Like the two of them combined Singletary and Moss is kind of what people drafting Moss right now are hoping for uh, on his own part. And I don't know if that's because they imagine the bills running more this year, or they imagine Singletary just getting scratched. Uh, neither of those seem likely to me. And I love Zach Moss, but I don't see in this offense how it's even vaguely possible for him to, uh, I don't know. It's like in best ball at a certain price, I could imagine him being useful because there's probably some, you know, he had a couple of games last year where he got to like 14 carries or something like that. I think he can do a lot more as a pass catcher than he showed last year. But I think him and Singletary are going to basically split, um, I don't know, what is this? like. It's like 900. Uh, they split like 1,400, 1,300 yards from scrimmage last year. You can't split that. That's no good. No, that, that's
1: not really going to get you anywhere. And, you know, the occasional spike week, again, uh, useful for, for best ball, of course. But, you know, if you're trying to make your lineup decisions and redraft – and you're just hoping upon hope for, for 60 yards in a given week, then, then you're definitely um, not in a particularly good spot. And then uh, one last news item to get to. It looked like Mark Andrews left practice today uh, with some severe cramping. Uh, glad to see that it's nothing more than that, of course, but, but again, uh, something uh, worth passing along before we move on to the next thing. So Mario, let's get into some ADP, um, some risers and fallers, some check-in here. Felt like there was a lot of reaction last week coming out of Jacksonville, specifically about uh, one Travis Etienne and his light usage in, the, in that first preseason game. So uh, when, it, when it comes to him, yeah, right, we're already there. Um, so when it comes to him and when it comes to James Robinson, who, according to RotoWire's handy-dandy ADP report, is also slipping a bit in the ADP rankings. Again, check that out, rotowire.com slash football slash ADP. And you'll find that uh, ADPs for a bunch of different websites, really good stuff there. But um, again, so where are you with this Jaguars' backfield as it stands here on August nineteenth?
2: It's it's kind of another variation of what we were talking about with Terrace Marshall. Like if you're changing anything, anything about your projections over a preseason game that doesn't have to do with like injury or um, like playing with the you know deep backups something like that uh especially like you know in the in the so-called rehearsal game I don't know if they make that the last of the 3 weeks or this week of the 3 I don't really know um it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to look to the preseason like you what you should do is to the best of your knowledge like try to discern the depth charts read the practice reports see who's practicing where ignore the preseason uh figure out who the players are on the basis of like their prospect profiles their uh, past production, things like that, project how much the team is going to log snap wise, what kind of plays they're going to call and figure out how the, all the players on the team fit together. If you're looking at the preseason, you are just bringing noise into your process and it doesn't matter. Travis ETN is not a backup. Travis Etienne is not a receiver. Travis ETN is not going to be uh Dontre Wilson in the, in the Jacksonville offense. And if someone wants to believe that he is any of those things on the basis of a preseason game, what can we even tell them? I don't think anything we can tell them will change their mind. They're just they just want to do this for some reason. Um, yeah, it's maddening. I, I guess we're gonna get a lot. Of, we're gonna get a couple cases like this if like their ADP slipping because of the preseason. And uh, I just don't know what to tell someone like that. Travis Etienne is, over the last two years, the second best prospect to me, just behind Jonathan Taylor. There's a really good chance he would have been the first one off the board last year if the Chiefs could have took Etienne instead of Edwards Eller. If if you believe that guy's playing behind Carlos Hyde, then you probably believe Gardner Minshew starting Week One too. And uh, don't worry about it. There you go.
1: That that's a that's a good way to put it in terms of uh, you know just kind of how ridiculous it is to to get uh, over your skis um, about ETN and and just you know one week preseason you know rookie season debut that that type of stuff. The
2: preseason thirst is insane, man. We gotta we gotta like re-educate people somehow this is just gets out of hand every it's every year it's just worse than the last one and uh, I'm, I'm running out of patience man it's too much
1: and we you know every year in july we we caution against this stuff and just the overreaction but yeah like, like you said people just have the need to to get their takes out there and just be as reactionary as humanly possible. Maybe it's their way of, of getting into pre- or into regular season shape with their Twitter game, but either way, man, it, it, it creates just a, a cesspool, I guess I want to say. On,
2: on yeah, it's some of it probably is driven by cynicism, by people who know... Oh, yeah. You, why not say something stupid on Twitter today? You're not measured by how right you are. You're measured by how much engagement you get. If you get more retweets than the other guy, you were right and he was wrong. That's what it in practice means. That's this economy and social media on the Internet. And, uh, you know, people overreact to training camp news. And I'm, I'm including myself, too. People overreact to training camp news and training camp news matters a lot more than preseason game events. So if you must freak out about something, try to keep it limited to practice. Don't look at a preseason game where you have no idea what the team objectives are. Teams go into the game's looking to evaluate specific random parts, bit rolls on their team, and they go in, and out of their way to set up the scenarios where they're trying to control and experiment in various things. They are not trying to make your player necessarily that you're curious about get the ball to prove or disprove anything. See, exactly. Thank you. So that,
1: that sums it up very nicely there. Uh, let's get on over to another young running back, this guy entering his second year. Uh, that's DeAndre Swift of the Lions has obviously been dealing with, with some uh, turf burns here uh, throughout uh, the preseason through training camp, all that. But over the last two weeks, looking at his ADP over on the NFFC, uh, his ADP is just around pick 30. He's gone as high as pick 16, but as low as pick 50 in the last two oh weeks my course, God. according to that data. so. Uh, it, Collusion, it, John. That's what that is. Fifty. <laughs> Give me a break. Fifty. I I don't understand how he could possibly fall that far. But uh, bunch again. of zero
2: wide receiver or zero running back freaks, and then people who are bad at running backs too. All all the worst of those two groups jammed into one twelve team monstrosity. And, and then oh my God. you know, what, one guy just has Swift fall, fall to him in, in the field. yeah. Ho- like, oh. Hopefully he has him as like his running back four or something, because otherwise that's just unfair. <laughs> Real. I hope he's on your bench, man. Whatever you, whoever you are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So I mean, what
2: what's the real
1: ADP with with him? Like, do, do you think at around pick thirty it is about right when it comes to Swift? Are, are you concerned about it? Are you not taking him early third anymore, or or what's your stance?
2: I don't care. I mean, he's. It, it's not great to see him miss practice time, but as much as it's a reminder of of the durability limits that we already knew about with him, that we already, I thought, factored into the ADP. It's also an indication that the lions have no idea what they're going to do without him. And they're keeping him on the shelf to make sure that there's no chance that he's hurt in the regular season. Like they do handling him and Hawkinson very carefully. And a lot of people are inclined to look at that and go like, Oh my God, they're hurt. Uh, They're more hurt with each passing day. I don't have any new information, but I'm getting more concerned about it. Anyway and i look at that and i i see it as like the season's 3 weeks away they haven't made a roster move um either he's fine and they they're just trying to keep, be cautious with him or uh i don't know that you, you believe that they don't necessarily think he's going to play and yet they're going into the the year with uh, Jamal Williams and Jamar Jefferson as their top two running backs i at the very least, think that Gurley signing would have happened or something would have happened if Swift were, were actually missing uh, time that they didn't expect him to, basically.
1: Okay, that that definitely checks out. So, uh, again, uh,
2: Going around 30 is later than Dobbins, and I, lo- I love Dobbins. As a- I think Dobbins is a better running back than Swift, but Dobbins isn't catching 85 passes this year.
1: No, no, that that's not really in, in the cards as far as the, the Ravens offense goes, whereas Jared Goff... You know, if you're on the field for a hefty number of the snaps at running back, he's going to check down the ball to you a fair amount. So, yeah, Swift definitely, uh, for PPR purposes, uh, the the better guy to target, uh, no question there. Um, I want to get into, well, before we get into uh, this next segment talking some ADPs and and some exposure uh, for best ball, we got a quick message from our sponsors
0: Find a location near you at Bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, Member FDIC.
1: And coming on back here on the Rotowire NFL podcast, uh, let's get into some guys that we have a little bit of FOMO for, some fear of missing out. Some guys, obviously, you and I have both done, you know, well into the double digits as far as best ball drafts during this draft season. Is there anyone that, that's going, say, in to, inside the top five rounds or so that you've just uh, kind of ended up with no shares of for, for any given reason that, that you're starting to be like, hmm, maybe I need to address that before the time that uh, September 9th comes around?
2: No one really jumps out, but there are a few guys that I, I kind of wish I had a little more exposure to. and I'm thinking especially of, I guess, like Aaron Jones, who I've always been high on. I wasn't really avoiding him because of the Aaron Rodgers thing. It's just that as high as I am on Aaron Jones, I believe Jonathan Taylor is better. And that that's like me saying Taylor is like the third best runner to me. And Aaron Jones is the fifth. Like it's definitely not a fading Jones. And given that I believe those things, I probably should have took Jones a few times where I took Taylor just for diversification reasons, injury diversification reasons. So with Rodgers there, of course, I I do feel a little bit better about Jones. Um, not that I, I never had any real concern before, but I, I did think something like he might have only 10 touchdowns instead of 15. And now I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess he's going to have 15 touchdowns now. Uh, so I, I wish I had gotten some shares of him, you know, at like 10, 12, wherever he was going before.
1: Right. And, and you know, I, I think I would say the same about a guy like Devontae Adams. I, I did buy the dip a little bit earlier in this summer with – kind of at the at the apex of, of the Rodgers drama when uh, you could have Devontae Adams in like the late second that yeah. kind of thing that that was that was nice and obviously the second that the reported to camp that those days were over as far as the discounted uh, Devonte was concerned but no Jones Jones a good call there um, two guys that, that I was thinking about that I'm extremely light on thus far usually I've just kind of gone a different direction maybe been addressing a different position at, at, at this stage of the draft but uh, both Tyler Lockett and Keenan Allen, both of them I'm, I'm light on. And I, I think Allen is the one that I want to investigate a little bit further in the sense that you know, obviously Austin Eckler is going to get a lot of targets out of that backfield. Um, and Mike Williams an exciting downfield guy, but he's not someone that's going to be drawing a ton of targets. And I'm really high on Justin Herbert as well, so I don't know why I've kind of just gone away from Keenan Allen to this point. But I'm, I might actually have zero shares of him right now. I just I, – I always – aim for maybe a little bit higher upside, but I mean that floor is so enticing and maybe there's, you know, another level uh, to his, to his like upper range of outcomes as well.
2: Yeah. I haven't played a whole lot of PPR like NFFC, but there I would especially want Keenan Allen exposure. I don't have much at all, if any, on underdog because of the half point PPR, but I even there wish I had some level of exposure. Uh, You know, he's, he's, He's not particularly close, in my opinion, to like the A.J. Brown kind of drop off at receiver. He's, he's usually going, if I remember right, around Allen Robinson. And I I kind of like Robinson more for half point PPR, too. But it's not because I meant at any point to doubt Allen. And I know there are some people who, and maybe this shows up in the ADP a little bit, who are a little concerned with uh, not just Herbert, but also like Allen, his, his efficiency efficiency if you look at a glance last year, was not very good. I think that he was clearly good last year and that his numbers were kind of dragged down by just a few especially bad high-volume games where he was getting like he, he was getting like 12 to 14 targets per game every week for like six weeks, and a bunch of those games had like five catches for 40 yards in there. And just a few games like that can really throw off his yards per target number for the season, especially when you're accustomed to the returns that he used to get. But basically all of it, all that damage occurred in in something like a six-week span when when Herbert was struggling. And because Allen was his main target, uh, Allen, among those receivers, took the biggest efficiency drag because he was getting the highest volume of these Herbert pass attempts that were falling flat. Uh, I don't think there was much that Allen could have done about it, and I don't think it's a reflection of who he was or where where he's going this year. So kind of like you, I'm high on Herbert, and if I'm high on Herbert— then I have to be high on Keenan Allen or I have to be extremely high on Mike Williams and Tyron Johnson. And I'm high on Tyron Johnson as like a couple final rounds of picks in a draft, but Mike Williams is, I don't know, he's, he's a pretty good player, but he's limited. He's in my opinion. And Keenan Allen, in my opinion is still really good. So I, I didn't take him over Allen Robinson a couple times and maybe, maybe it was someone else that I took over Keenan Allen, but there are not many receivers in the league who have better chance at uh, not just triple digit, like 115 catches or something. He's got to be in the top five.
1: No, absolutely. So um, that's, that's something where I'm going to kind of shift, not overdo it um, as far, because you don't want to chase your FOMO and just kind of like throw your process for the first six months or whatever of draft season out the window completely. But uh, covering your bases and, and you know rounding out your your best ball portfolio never a bad idea and and when it again is that number one target for a budding star like Justin Herbert you know that that might be something to look into um, going back up the board a little bit we'll get to Tyler Lockett here in a second I have no DeAndre Hopkins I don't think and I I also that's another one where I just don't really understand why I never feel like I'm consciously fading him, but I look at, at my exposure on, on Underdog or, or some other sites, and I am DeAndre Light. So um, where are you with, with him? Is Are you in the same boat where you don't have a ton of Hopkins shares? Who are you taking uh, when he's usually up on, on the board, that sort of thing?
2: I don't have any shares that I'm aware of. There were a couple times where I was hoping to get him in the late second when he was falling a bit, but on Underdog, you generally had to take him at like 11, 12, 13, something like that, and I'm definitely not taking him over Calvin Ridley. I just, that was the problem. I would would have to take DeAndre Hopkins over Calvin Ridley. And I don't know if I had to do that scenario a hundred times, I'd get ideally something like 45 or 40 Hopkins in there. But if I only have three or four chances, they're all going to be Ridley. So that's not me trying to fade Hopkins. Really. It's just, I thought Calvin Ridley was the one who's more likely to be underpriced between the two. And like Keenan Allen, DeAndre Hopkins loses a little bit the less points you give per reception because there's not much reason to expect a big touchdown total there. There's not much reason to expect big yardage either. The catches will be there, and that's something. Like I, Even though I haven't been picking him, I wouldn't call him like a bad pick in the second round. Uh, anytime someone took Hopkins, I figured, yeah, that'll, that's fine. That doesn't hurt them. I generally think, though... I'm unlikely to get any shares unless it's NFFC type thing. Cause uh, in redraft and in PPR, that's where a guy like Hopkins is really useful. Even if he doesn't match, you know, even if like AJ Brown has a bigger year than Hopkins or something, the person who picked Hopkins in the second, early second round is not going to fail for that reason. They're not going to be the diff, the difference between success and failure is not going to be the distance between Hopkins and Brown in that scenario. Hopkins, as long as he's getting a point per reception, will give you, a lot of stability. I do worry that he finishes the year with something like, I don't know, like 1,250 yards on 115 catches and six touchdowns, which would be fine for everybody who took him, but not especially useful for the price outside of PPR. Yeah, that's
1: that's not necessarily helping you over the finish line and and like bumping you over. You would need to kind of, um, you know, have some serious... Uh, explosion from from like the other guys that you drafted but you're you're just kind of getting a a par uh, essentially from, from Hopkins where you took him and then you know piggybacking off that say Ridley's off the board and you're looking for a receiver where are you between Hopkins and a guy like Justin Jefferson
2: I would go Hopkins there for sure it's tough for me when you get to Metcalf though it's like I know Hopkins has the much more stable target volume, but especially in, in like underdog and best ball generally, I guess I should say, and then uh, half point PPR rather than full. It's, it's pretty tough, but I think the responsible answer even then is probably Hopkins. Yeah.
1: Okay. That definitely makes sense. Uh, let's move on over to Tyler Lockett. Um, so, you know, we, we were just speaking about DK Metcalf and I feel like Lockett has earned this moniker of being Mr. Consistent, but last year, like so much of his points were distributed in three games, one of which came in Week 17. So it might not have even been useful. Everyone remembers the the Week Seven Sunday Night game against the Cardinals um, in Arizona, where he had three, where he had three touchdowns, and then of course that that just total Madden game between the Seahawks and the um, and the Cowboys in Week Three, where he went off for three touchdowns again. Outside of that, pretty meager stuff from from him. Uh, there were only five games in which he caught a touchdown, so that's not great. He's given you a lot of weeks, um, with, with obviously, without that. And then he's under 90 yards in 13 of, of his 16 games. So um, for someone who had been billed as so consistent, I know that the Seahawks' offense in general just kind of fell off towards the end of the season. But uh, all of that just kind of leads me to, to have kind of faded Tyler Lockett to this point but unlike some of these other guys that we've talked about I'm not sure if I'm going to go back and and try to get uh, any exposure to to him necessarily this year
2: I understand the concerns and I don't exactly have a lot of volume of Tyler Lockett but he's a guy I'm always glad to get or when I'm usually when he's on the clock and I'm or sorry when I'm on the clock and he's kind of like when i think the best receiver left i'll i'll take him and i'll feel pretty good about it even though he's not like my my main target going in i think it's 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 understandable that the the up and down nature of last year most of which i guess was down that that is something that sucks you know to to own him when he's having struggles like that but to me those struggles occurred enough and and singularly enough when russell wilson was struggling that I attribute it to Wilson and not necessarily in any way that's like criticizing Wilson. It's just something needed to happen with Wilson before Lockett could have any control over his own outcome. And the wrong outcome was happening for Russell Wilson's part. So I basically think if Russell Wilson is on track, Tyler Lockett will be on track. I don't think Tyler Lockett could have saved. I don't think there was much he could have done with, with the kind of trajectory they were going on last year with defenses figuring out, they're sitting out uh, sitting on their route tendencies figuring out how long russell wilson takes on each drop to get rid of the ball they start noticing stuff like that they start noticing it's not that many different receivers that he throws to. It's not many different parts of the field that he throws to. He tends to throw to these places. He tends to get there on three- or five-step drops to these places. If he's going seven drops or seven steps, he's going over here. And they start sitting on all those spots, and I don't think in that case any receiver can do much about it. Like I think DeAndre Hopkins had his own version of this situation last year where second half he was struggling to get open because he was always on the left side, always running six-yard curls, and defenses thought, hey, why don't we just sit here until they do something different. And Cliff Kingsbury was like, I can't think of literally anything else to do. And so Hopkins just sat there being blanketed, still making a bunch of catches because he's insane at boxing people out and high pointing the ball in the air, but it was impossible to get open. And if you're lock it and it's impossible to get open, you know, he's got good ball skills and stuff, but he's not Hopkins, no one is. And if if you don't have a fair shot at getting open, you're not gonna get a catch. You know, vast majority of the time, you're not. So I'm not saying that I'm taking it for a given that Shane Waldron will be good. Or anything but it it just feels unlikely to me russell wilson going to 16 game i guess 17 this year samples and just kind of struggling throughout them i I think that's only something that's going to happen for a couple games here and there and i think he he did his time last year basically so uh i think russell wilson will be back and if he is i think tyler lockett is almost necessarily back because i don't think it's gonna be freddie swain Dwayne Escarage, I think, is going a little late in drafts, but I don't think he's going to be a more than a good role player. Gerald Everett doesn't do a whole lot, so if I like, if for me to be low on Lockett, I need to also be out on Wilson.
1: Okay, no, that was a that was a really good explainer uh, on it. And and you look at at some of the of Lockett's advanced metrics from last year um, on his Roto-Wire player page, like a lot of them were still really good. He was still getting yeah. a high percentage of the air yards. His catch rate was insane for for. You know, a guy getting as many targets as he did to still catch 75.8% of them—that's uh, really impressive stuff. So, um, again, a lot of his stuff was concentrated in those games, and he had the disappointing weeks. But you know, if it's tied to if it's tied to Wilson and it's tied to, you know, just kind of a ugly offense in general, we can expect something maybe of of a dead cat bounce in the form of a offensive coordinator that we maybe we just don't even notice him, and, and then. Uh, then we we can you know start to see Seattle start to you know look like it did early in the year last year.
2: Yeah, at the very least, I can't remember the last time people were lower on a 100 catch receiver than they are Tyler Lockett right now. And I know like 25 of those were against the Cardinals, but the peripheral numbers are good. And in each case where he fell flat, the pie was very small. So if the depends on what the pie does, and I guess I'm open to the idea that Lockett fails because Wilson does, but. I've yet to see anybody really specifically predict that Wilson is is busted or anything. And I, I think it's got to take that or it's got to take an injury to lock it for lock it to fail. Like he's an NFFC is going later than Deontay Johnson. I mean, yeah. Yeah. OK. He, he caught 100 passes last year. What, what is the volume concern isn't even right. It's like he's he's got the volume that he never used to. And we can, I think, expect the efficiency to, to go up. Uh, not that he was inefficient last year, but it's like he used to be like a 10 yards a target kind of guy instead of eight like last year. I think he can catch 70% of his targets at like 8.8 or even 9 this year. There we have it. Okay,
1: good stuff. Good good explainer there. Maybe I will uh, have to, to reconsider, circle back, and, and get myself maybe a little, little Seahawks stack here uh, before draft season is over. Before we get to our next segment, we got a couple messages here. First one uh, from our friends over at WinBet there's one thing we appreciate here at rotowire it's making good decisions and even more making the right decision listen up folks i have an incredible offer for you with rotowire's newest partner winbet the premier digital casino and sportsbook app winbet is now the exclusive sponsor for rotowire's fantasy podcast winbet brings you all the latest action with a user-friendly interface money-line bets Boosted parlays, over-unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more at your fingertips. And if you want a break from sports betting, head to Winbet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Backrat. Winbet is currently available in six states. That's Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At Winbet, the possibilities are limitless. Winbet is currently offering all rotor listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download Winbet now. That's W Y N N B E T, Winbet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. We also got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Are you tired of the same old fantasy football leagues that get canceled year after year? If so, dynasty owner has your back go to dynastyowner.com new leagues for the 2021 season are forming right now dynasty owner unites the fun and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office by incorporating a salary cap and the real nfl player salaries for diehard fantasy football fans that want the real gm experience dynasty owner adds a whole new level of strategy are you worried you won't be able to find anyone to play in your league don't worry Dynasty Owner can help you fill your league with fantasy football enthusiasts just like yourself. You won't have to worry about finding enough players. You can choose to start a league, join an existing, or purchase a team from a previous owner. If you're serious about joining the big leagues, go to DynastyOwner.com slash That's DynastyOwner.com slash and start your dynasty today. And last one here from our friends over at Sleeper. What do your fraternity brother Steve, Katie from work, and your grandma all have in common, they're all waiting for that invite to your fantasy football league. There is no better way to hang out, no easier way to to smack talk, and no more customizable platform to host your fantasy leagues this year than Sleeper. Whether you have a redraft league or a dynasty league that has been around for 10 years, Sleeper has everything you need in one app. Incredible commissioner tools and customizations, built-in messaging, support for snake draft, auction draft, and best ball leagues, blazing fast news, stats, and scores, all in one beautifully designed mobile app and website that makes every other app feel like horse and buggy. Sleeper is the fastest-growing fantasy sports platform for a reason, and all the cool commissioners are switching to Sleeper and not looking back. Don't just take my word for it. Download Sleeper on iOS or Android and see for yourself. You have nothing to lose. It's free. All right, Mario, let's get back in uh, talking about our... Uh, respective uh, best ball and just regular draft portfolios so far. Who is someone that you have a lot of exposure to that you may be feeling a little bit queasy about at this stage?
2: Um, no one really. I mean, I guess uh, Paris Campbell, someone who I haven't been drafting since Carson Wentz broke his foot, that was someone who I would get in, I don't know, I guess like the 14th, 15th kind of round and definitely got a lot of picks like he he might even now be my most owned receiver uh, I guess it's either him or DJ Chark but I don't truly regret it I mean to me Paris Campbell was going about four or five rounds too late before the Carson Wentz injury and even now it's not so much that I'm avoiding him as much as I'm kind of trying to remember like I've got enough exposure I don't need to keep taking him I can take it go some Campbell other way shot, collar on yeah so it's uh it's like I would have liked his situation a bit more if Wentz had never gotten hurt or if uh, I had known Wentz was going to get hurt, I would have at least waited until now to start buying so I could get him even later than he was before. But I don't know. I'm not too concerned about it. I, I think, you know, what, 13th, 14th, 15th round doesn't need to be that great anyway. And I, I still think there's a chance he's just really good, even even if it's Eason or somebody else. I thought Wentz sucked the whole time. I didn't really care. Uh, right. I guess, I guess uh, maybe... I don't know. I'm still not concerned, but like Leonard Fournette is another guy I could have maybe gotten a little later because people are hyping Gio Bernard right now, and I really want to fade that. But what, I, yeah, what's what's going on there? Uh, people just look at like generic the statements from. Yeah, I yeah, guess the mustache bump is real. Like Gio Bernard will catch a, a checkdown pass. That's I'll true. give him that. I don't know what people expect him to do otherwise. I guess you could imagine that the check down pass is such a crucial part of the modern NFL offense that you would make your starting running back on that basis. Uh, I happen to think that they more so signed Gio Bernard to just be the hurry up back, which is a situation they will see only at ends of halves. Basically maybe, maybe if they're like sluggish in a game, they'll go like no, no huddle max tempo for a drive, just to try to get themselves going. I can see him playing then, but I can see him doing nothing in any scenario other than catching checkdown passes. And when he catches them, he won't go very far with them because he never has. He was vaguely elusive earlier in his career and as a North Carolina back, but for five years or so now there have not been many running backs less explosive than Gio Bernard. And a lot of people f- don't remember it that way because they picked him up in PPR leagues last year. And because they can't distinguish PPR points from any other sort of basis of physical reality, they ended the thought there. They were just like, oh, Gio's good. He got me 18.5 PPR points. That means he's better than whatever running back had less than that this week. <laughs> it's like, no, that's just PPR scoring. That's just a guy catching useless passes and an uncompetitive offense. With the Buccaneers, I can imagine, yes, that he's he's definitely a more reliable pass catcher than than Ronald Jones and, he, and certainly, uh, to a lesser extent, Leonard Fournette. But he's so much worse as a runner and does so much less with the catches that he does make. That he is not going to help them. He's not going to be a net benefit. So I am willing to accept the possibility that Joe Bernard plays a lot this year, but that offense will suffer for its backfield returns if so, because Joe Bernard sucks. I don't understand why we're talking about this, but a lot of people are thinking like he's their number one running back right now. So now that that's out there, I'm thinking I could have gotten Fournette in like the 13th round rather than like the late 11th like I was.
1: Yeah, we, we were talking about Fournette a couple weeks ago. I remember. Um, I think as far as guys who were going a little bit too late, and you know, not to paint either of us as as Leonard Fournette stands, but at a certain stage of the draft, you look at who else is around him, and it's like, well, you know, he is the you know the probably the best running back on on the Tampa Bay roster, and that's a roster that's going in an offense specifically that is going to score a lot of points, a lot of touchdowns. So you know, just get a little bit along for the ride when it, when it comes to that. So yeah. Uh, Bernard, I'm. Uh, um, maybe we're just bored at, at this stage of the of the preseason. I, I don't. I don't really know where, where this hype train could really.
2: Honestly, come. a lot of it. A lot of it is propelled by like the anti running back people. A lot of the anti running back people love Gio Bernard basically because of the same way that a capitalist loves a scab. Like they're they like, Gio Bernard is so cool. He, give, he, he gives me a pretext to advocate that teams cut or reduce the pay of other running backs who will just run the ball and they don't catch passes and running the ball is bad. And Gio Bernard, he's not an uppity running back who expects to get carries. He goes out there and catches check down passes and pass blocks like a good running back should. And a lot of those people who are like zero running back obsessed think that Gio's going to be their savior this year. I bet he won't be. And I bet they'll be wrong about other things, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just remember, folks. Uh, second and eight after a, a short run, uh, somehow worse than uh, second and ten after. An yeah, eight. he could
2: be like something like a JD e. McKissick for them this year. Like that worked so gonna, well for. They're not going to do that. Uh, yeah, when they start Kyle Allen and Alex Smith, Geo's going to freaking rake. Yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah. get Blaine Gabbert out there. Um, let's, oh, that, there you go. That
1: that that might be it. That would work. <laughs> See that then the geo Bernard theory. Makes sense. Um, looking at, at uh, my exposure over at underdog, as far as guys that are going in the in the first seven, eight rounds, my, my highest exposure guy is Jerry Judy. Um, but I feel I feel really good about that actually. Yeah, I like that. I don't feel any concern about it really. I mean as, or as little concern as you can have given that quarterback situation, and that's not to say that I was drafting him with the expectation of Rodgers starting in Denver week one. Like, I, I never really thought that that was going to be a thing, but I just kind of steered into the skid regardless. Um, and, you know, I, I just think that other than, you know, the, the catch rate and the drop rate from a year ago, it was a pretty sparkling rookie season from him. And I, I can – those those particular metrics that I, I was talking about, the catch rate and the drops, they were so bad that they, they almost – just necessarily have to come back to some sort of normalization. I don't expect Jerry Judy to catch fewer than 50% of his targets this year. I don't expect him to drop uh, over 10% of, of his targets, that, that kind of thing. It wasn't that big of a problem for, of his at Alabama. He's going to drop passes. It, it happens for him, but he's going to make so many more big plays, so I, I'm not worried about that. But, you know, looking elsewhere around guys with, with exposure at 50% of, or less, a lot of them are just kind of later round dudes. I don't. Ha- I kind of spread it around as far as the the early rounds are concerned, trying to just kind of diversify a bit. But when you get a little bit later on, I have a lot of Brian Edwards. I have a lot of Adam Troutman, which sounds bad to say, but at the same time, I'm always drafting him as what my tight end two, maybe my tight end three, that that, that kind of thing. So not too worried there. Um, have a little bit of Sammy Watkins. I guess the the highest profile guy, um, again with with maybe the bust potential, but I don't see it. Um, But again, we got to talk about him for a second, just because I have a fair bit of him, would be Kyle Pitts. He's the the highest drafted guy that I have over 50% in my portfolio of. So obviously there's some risk in that. You got to take him seemingly at an increasing cost. Every single week, the ADP seems to be climbing, but I feel really good about it. Again, like he's different. Uh, You can't, uh, you know, apply the same axioms and truisms that you put on other rookie tight ends to him. We've established that over the course of these last few months, so not really anything that to add there, but, um, you know, if you had this much Pitts, how would you feel?
2: I think I have about as much as you, or um, I, I I wish I did in any case. I, th- I think Pitts is going to be, a, I don't know, i I don't want to, like, jinx the guy by acting like nothing can go wrong. Obviously, something can go wrong, but I don't see how he can play, uh, I don't know, let's say 14 games and finish any worse than, like, the tight end seven, something like that. And if he plays all 17 games, I think, I mean, he could be the, the second best tight end this year. I know that there's a lot of talk given to the, to the risk that Pitts has as a rookie tight end, but... I don't think the upside has gotten really any attention at all. It's like, or t- to the extent that it is acknowledged, it's just, it's just like a vaguely reference and largely just waved off to say, like, now let's get to the downside though. Mm-hmm. No, let's talk about what the upside really is here. The upside here is not, I mean, it's, he could have the best season of the, any tight end this year. If he is playing as a wide receiver too to Matt Ryan. And if Matt Ryan has his customary, you know 4,400 to 4,700 yards and 25 to 28 touchdowns even if you're projecting Calvin Ridley as like the number one receiver this year there's still room for Kyle Pitts to catch I don't know a majority of whatever touchdowns Matt Ryan throws it's like Matt uh Kyle Pitts and Calvin Ridley could combine for something like 80 percent of Atlanta's touchdown passes this year and I'm, I'm not saying the most likely scenarios but these are totally plausible outcomes that if they occur would not just justify Pitts at his current cost it would make him more like a second round return than a fourth round return so i think that someone who thinks they're low on Pitts needs to first convince themselves that they're low on ryan or and they need to for some reason predict Pitts won't play and no one really seems to be i mean the second one would just be insane but i don't see anybody really even saying the first one i hear like Oh, yeah, down lowered expectations after the Julio trade. It's like, well, then raise the expectation for Pitts. Julio would have been a concern rather than a benefit. And I can't tell what everybody thinks. Like people have different narratives that they use to reach the same conclusions. You know, some people's like, oh, Julio Jones left. That's bad because it's more defensive focus on Kyle Pitts. And other people will say like it's, you know, it's it's bad for Kyle Pitts because now the Falcons are worse or whatever. I think that Julio Jones leaving is bad for the Falcons and good for Pitts, and I don't understand why that's like a stretch to consider.
1: No, it's it's really not, and, and it, it feels like that that's getting lost. In it. I think specifically, it, you, I think you bring up a really good point when it comes to that that upside discussion because that does the the second that you bring up Kyle Pitts in the fourth or Kyle Pitts in the fifth, the the knee jerk reaction is always talking about what's going to go wrong. It's it's almost never what's going to go right. Yeah. Um, they
2: and, say you're yeah. drafting him at his ceiling. It's like, I might not be, man. <laughs> right. I might Is not it? be.
1: Yeah, and, and uh, you know, we'll see where, where that goes. But, but, no, honestly, we have to acknowledge that, yeah, he could return upwards of second-round value potentially if, if everything were to go right. And even if things go pretty close to right, you know, the 75th percentile outcome, he, he, he could still easily return uh, that fourth-round value. Let's get on over now uh, to uh, my beat John McKechnie, that's me, uh, NFFC draft from a week ago. I drew the eight spot. Um, that was my preferred choice in, in the uh, KDS, Kentucky Derby um, style you know, draft, draft slot selection. Um, of course, NFFC also full point PPR, and there's a third round reversal, which interestingly opened up a path to me that, that we hadn't otherwise kind of explored yet. Uh, This off season, and you know, we talk about stacking all the time, and and it's usually in the context of best ball. But this is a redraft league. I got to set my lineups. I got to make waiver wire pickups, that that sort of thing. But we, and again, we we talk about stacks. But generally, the one that's kind of out of reach for everyone, especially in drafts where there's no third round reversal, is getting the top three chiefs, and or you know, three of the of the top four chiefs. Whether it's Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, and then CEH, and then Mahomes. Uh, So in this one, uh, Tyreek Hill ended up falling to me at pick number eight. Um, He was the third receiver to to go off the board. I also had a choice between Barkley, Kelsey, um, Eckler, and Chubb were the other guys to to round out the the first round. So all of those guys were in play for me as well. I didn't go into this necessarily thinking I was going to get Tyreek Hill, but I just went for it given who else was there on the board, and then... Uh, coming around back, uh, Calvin Ridley went the pick before me. So I was like, all right, I'll I'll steer into this here. I'll go for CEH. And then with the third round reversal, um, uh, the the guy that was drafting ahead of me kind of helped make up my mind for me. I kind of like panic DM'd you actually when I was about to go on the clock. I was like, is it crazy to go with this? But I ended up going with Patrick Mahomes because CeeDee Lamb went uh, the pick right before. So yeah, I ended up Tyreek, CEH, and Mahomes to start. I'm I think the more I think about it, the more excited I am.
2: Yeah, with Tyreek at the eighth pick, I would say Mahomes was a better third-rounder than Lamb anyway. And NFFC, it's six points per passing touchdown. So whereas I had no interest in Mahomes and underdog in the third round, NFFC is totally different. Any format where it's six points per, ta- per passing touchdown, it's totally different because Mahomes can throw 50 of those in 16 games. So that's uh, particularly when you're already kind of going whatever way hill will it's like why not why not just uh just go the twice as far or uh you know lose it the difference between losing and losing is nothing but by having mahomes and hill if hill does hit then then you're getting kind of that much more distance for it um i think uh i mean i don't remember which running backs were on the board in the second round but i like clyde to hilarious enough as a second round pick as a general rule that uh You know, especially when you bundle you when you phrase it as like the bundle of three starting out Hill, Edwards Lair, Mahomes. I think with uh, the three of them in a bundle, a lot of like the conditional concerns that you might have or, or, you know, reservations about Hill and uh, about Edwards Lair in the second, Mahomes in the third. They kind of go away when you can also have those those other points accounted for.
1: Absolutely. So uh, I'm pumped about it. I think that
2: that, that's going to turn out well.
1: I mean, uh, the other running back, I wasn't going to take Najee Harris. Um, That that, sort of like what we were talking about uh, with your draft last week, and we're like half joking, but like that would have really ran ran counter to my brand to to take (laughs) Najee Harris in in the second round. Uh, Kind of the same deal with Mixon and then uh, Swift ended up going late in the second, but um, I wasn't comfortable with with him and certainly not um, above CEH. So that's how it went. Um, I did kind of have to scramble for running back briefly or really kind of the rest of the way Um, I ended up being okay with, with how it ended up my running backs. I I got Josh Jacobs in the fourth round. I got Leonard Fournette in the eighth. Um, I got then a a long stretch where no running backs seemed to make value to me or make it back to me one way or the other. So it was kind of tough out there for your guy. Um, Got Tevin Coleman, um, got, in the 16th, I got Javian Hawkins in the 17th and uh, my guy, Jake Funk in the, in the 20th. So, um, I will definitely be active, actively getting that first whoever's the really trendy running back on waivers the first week. I'm, I'm going to have to, to splash the pot for that, but I don't know if, if it's fragile, but if, if the, uh, if the top three running backs there end up working out, then it should be okay because the rest of the team I feel like is pretty solid.
2: Yeah, I definitely like Jacobs enough as a second one in, Fournette is a little tougher in redraft than in best ball to make useful. But if Ronald Jones were, God forbid, to miss some time, then I think in that case, he goes from, like, guy... Leonard Fournette goes from guy you can't really use usually to, I don't know, like, top 15 running back, something like that. So uh, he still has a lot of use in redraft, even if you have to kind of, like, leave him on the bench for a few weeks to see how it goes. And uh, do you happen to remember who was the, the receivers after Tyreek Hill? Uh, for, for me, it was, uh, I
1: went Odell Beckham in the six. Uh, uh, so uh, the way it went, it was Hill, Edwards CEH, uh, or so Hill, CEH, Mahomes, uh, and then Jacobs. Then I went with Mark Andrews. And then I went OBJ, uh, Debo Samuel, Darnell Mooney um, in rounds six, seven, and nine. Um, and then I got a second tight end in Robert Tunyon. Then uh, in the eleventh, I got Michael Thomas. I, I want to get to that in a second. Oh, and I also got uh, Jalen Rager. So um, I really like that that receive, that group of receivers. Um, I think there's a good blend of floor and upside between all of them. Everyone loves their Darnell Mooney shares at this point. So I was happy to get in on that. Um, and also, again, when it comes to Michael Thomas, like we we weren't particularly high on him, you know, with, before like pre-injury. And I just had no idea where what to make of him now. But, I mean, in the 11th, when I already had my receiver spots filled, that felt like a worthwhile gamble.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't expect myself to be interested in taking Thomas. But when you said 11th round, it was like, oh, I guess I would do that. I and mean, I'm probably blowing my 11th round pick anyway. What's the difference? Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Thomas stepping up by October would be huge for that team because then – you would have kind of uh, basically like two number one receivers in addition to Mahomes and Edward Hilaire and, and Andrews, of course, who I'm, I'm also high on. I think he's a little less valuable in NFF or full point PPR, but it's like he still is a good candidate to finish as the tight end four or five, even if, even if in that event, it's not by as much of a distance as it might be in, um, you know, standard scoring or half point PPR. Yeah,
1: I mean, at the at the end of the day, you know, touchdowns make such a large percentage of his catches in general. Today, yeah, you know, it, it makes up for like the the nibbling, uh, you know, five yard receptions up and down the field, um, that sort of thing. Um, and then this was my first Odell Beckham share actually of this season, and I'm feeling better and better about it um, as we go on. I actually kind of ended up constructing like a mini Brown stack uh, throughout the later portions of the draft. So I got OBJ um, in the sixth. Uh took Baker Mayfield as my as my second quarterback in the 13th and was able to get Donovan Peoples Jones in the 19th. I was surprised by that.
2: Yeah, I I have some reservations about Baker Mayfield and the st- structure of the Browns offense, but I'm really high on Odell Beckham for his own part. I I still believe he's something like I don't know, I guess not top five anymore, but maybe one of the five best receivers still, uh definitely one of the best eight. Uh the ACL is a bit of a concern, but he's such a freak athlete that if he's out there. He's, he's going to work better with Mayfield than he did last. I thought Beckham looked insanely good. Even when he was having bad box scores last year, I, I remember looking at him and being like, Oh yeah, that's him. He's back. And then the dang ACL. Uh, so hopefully he could just look like he did last year. And if he does, I have no qualms about him. I just, I just think he's so talented.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. Um. So, so again, it, it's, coming off the ACL a bit of a risk and you know he's been injured uh, elsewhere plenty uh before so you, you have to bake that in but um if I can get 10 really good games out of Beckham then then that's great and if he gets hurt the insurance policy being Donovan Peoples-Jones a little bit later on
3: yeah
2: that could I mean he's out. he's interesting too and it's yeah. it's hard to tell how they're splitting up their backup reps but every time I've read about Peoples-Jones it sounds like he's doing well and I think uh, you know. There's a really good chance that both Peoples Jones and Nico Collins are, are really good NFL receivers, and it'll just have turned out like, oh, we underrated them because of their st- stupid team and stupid quarterback made them look bad. But whoops, we should have should have took the huge fast guys a little earlier. Once again, Michigan gets to be the
1: butt of some jokes. So I, I love to end it um, on that note, and uh, you know I'll see you. Um, you know for that for that overall contest. Uh, championship coming around week seventeen or, or what, whatever it might. Be. I
2: assume we'll both be there. Yes, hundred uh, oh, yeah. yeah. percent.
1: Yeah. So see, see you then. But um, that's gonna wrap it up for this week's edi- or this Thursday edition of the Roto NFL podcast. Again, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. We will catch you next week and be sure to listen in for the Friday show. Andrew Laird, Scott Jenstad, DFS, great stuff as always. So tune in for that. But again, thank you for listening to the Rotowire. NFL podcast brought to you by WinBet.
2: Try Rotowire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.